0: Learn a lot and and uh, get what you came for, I hope, or more than what you came for, osmosis. osmosis. That's good. I heard it's been really good. So, wow. Uh, good. Well, let's pray and, and uh, just ask the Lord just to come right now and just release creativity over us. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in us today. And we just release the spirit of creativity over us right now. Lord, we just release the spirit of creativity. Holy Spirit, you are the creator. You, you brooded over the earth and you took formless, void chaos and you made something beautiful out of it. We pray this morning that you would brood over us and that out of us would come something beautiful, Lord, that you would take the chaos of our lives, the areas of our lives that still have chaos, and you would take the, just the things that you've put inside of us, and that you would begin to brood over them in a catalytic way, that what would be born out of us is something beautiful, something, something that generates a prophetic declaration, Lord, I I just pray for that right now in the name of Jesus, and I I pray that your spirit would just rest on all of us right now in a a dynamic way, in a way that we won't forget. Hmm. Thank you for what you're doing among us, in us and through us. Amen. Um, What I'm going to talk to you about is maybe uh, we'll begin a little bit odd and feel just kind of... uh, you'll be like, what's this have to do with writing? But if you'll just follow me. Come on in and sit down. Cool, good to see you all. Sorry to kind of rush you. I have um, another meeting at noon, so um, I'm just going to kind of keep going. Um, About... uh, I guess it's been a, a, about a month and a half ago, two months ago, I had an interesting encounter with the Lord. And the Lord's been talking to me about um, a lot of things, but he's been talking to me about, he said to me, he said, I'm going to give you, he said, We're, we've entered into an Abis, a new apostolic age. And I'm like, all right, I don't know what any of that means. And the Lord said, Venter into a new apostolic age, and I'm going to give you an apostolic eschatology and I'm not going to talk to you much about that at all because but I'm going someplace with this, and it has to do with writing and the lord said but the the spirit of fatalism and the spirit of martyrdom is holding back the apostolic age and um I want to just read you something I wrote uh, uh because i i I wrote it just while the Lord was talking to me. The Lord told me a month ago or so that we're going, that he's given us an apostolic eschatology. We were praying that it would be on earth as it is in heaven, and we are supposed to make disciples of all nations, and then it stands to reason that we need a new approach to the end times. What we believe about the end has everything to do with how we behave in the middle. The Lord said the spirit of fatalism and the spirit of martyrdom are holding back the apostolic age. And this is what he told me. Fatalism refuses to acknowledge positive advancement on the earth, And it looks for the world to erode instead of evolve. Scriptures like there shall be no end to the increase of his government or peace are focused into a time zone that don't inspire hope for a current generation. Fatalism uh, changes our message from the kingdom is at hand to the end of the world is near. The church is notorious for using fear to motivate people to come into the kingdom. We actually build partnerships with terrorist spirits and believe that we can drive people to God. But there is no fear in love and the kingdom of God doesn't do punishment. So it's very difficult to keep people in the kingdom who have been driven there by a fatalistic eschatology. And then he said this, martyrdom embraces death in a sadistic sort of way and values the cross above the joy set before it. Jesus endured the cross. He didn't enjoy it. When it was time for his disciples, when it was time for him to die, he even prayed, if it's possible, take this cup from me. There's much more to say, but... You can feel the Spirit giving us an apostolic mindset so that we can begin to anticipate the kingdoms of this world becoming the kingdom of our God. And there's there's a lot more to say in there. Here's what I'm getting at. Let me read you a verse. Habakkuk wrote this about 2400 years ago. Chapter 2, verse 1. I'll stand on my guard post and station myself on my rampart and I'll keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may reply when I'm reproved. Then the Lord answered me and said, Record the vision and inscribe it on tablets, that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is not yet for an appointed time. It hastens towards the goal, and it will not fail. And though it tarries, wait for it, for it surely will come. And let me read you just a couple more verses. Romans four uh, fifteen four. If you have a cell phone with you can turn it off, that'd be great. Romans 15, 4, for whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. So through perseverance and encouragement, we might find hope. And um, here's what I'm getting at. The the way that history happens is, uh, from God's perspective, is that God gives someone a view of the future. And they began to prophetically proclaim the future. And out of prophetic proclamations, the future begins to be created because prophecy is history written before it happens. And one of the things that I saw just about a month ago is that when we received Jesus, we received eternal life. Now, everybody knows that. But what I've always believed is that eternal life means that when we step into Christ, that we step into eternity so that... Like, I got saved in 1973, so from 73 on, I'm receiving eternal life into the future, and I see eternity as something that never ends. But what I didn't realize is that, what I didn't understand is that eternity not only never ends, but it never had a beginning, and that God is creating, according to Ephesians chapter 4, He said, preserve the unity of the Spirit, and when Jesus was arguing with the um, with the uh, Sadducees over the resurrection, they didn't believe in the resurrection. and Jesus said to them, the God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he asked them a question. He said, "Is God the God of the living or the dead? And his point is this is that when God said, "I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob had already passed on. And he asked the Pharisees, I mean he asked the Sadducees, when, 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 Abraham, when, when, they, when he made a statement, when God made a statement, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob dead or alive? And the point he was making is, to the Sadducees, is that you don't understand the power of God or the resurrection because when God said, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God was not saying, I'm a God of three dead people. <laughs> he's saying, I'm the God of people who have passed through this veil and passed into another veil. And what I'm getting at is this, is that I'm learning that we, when we step into eternity, that God is creating the unity of the Spirit. And the unity of the Spirit is for all those who are in the Spirit. And the Spirit world doesn't live in time. It lives in eternity. So when I stepped into this family called the family of God, I became a part, I'm a piece of, of history See my destiny lies in my history, my testimony and my prophecy. What was, what is and what is to come. That's why Jesus said I I am the one who was and he is. Listen, I am currently the, the one who was is and is to come. And so when we step into when we step into Christ, we we step into eternity and the unity of the spirit just isn't just the visible we're not just coming into unity with those who are in the visible kingdom, but we're coming into unity with those who live in the invisible kingdom who went before us, who left us an inheritance, so that we can, we can build on what they left be- before us. Are you with me? And we have a responsibility who, for those who come after us. Now, okay, this is going to get a little bit complicated. Let me just read you uh, Hebrews, um, the end of Hebrews. Chapter 11. And let me just read it to you. Just a piece of it. And what shall I say to you? For time will fail me if I tell you of Gideon, Barak, and Samson, Jebeth, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured, not accepting their release, for they obtained that they may obtain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings, just chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with sword. They went about in sheepskins and in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and ill-treated. Men in whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains, and caves, and holes in the ground. All these, having gained approval, listen to this, for their faith, did not receive what was promised. Because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Listen to this. Next verse. Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let's lay aside every encumbrance. Let me just tell you what he's saying. See, Jesus said that John the Baptist was the greatest prophet in the Old Testament but the least in the kingdom was greater than John. Are you following me? I used to run um, uh, track in high school, and I, um, I was actually the fifth fastest man on our team, which means I didn't get to run in the relays very often unless one of our four guys was either sick or he was running too many events. But we had the fastest man in high school history in, in on our track team. His name was Benny Brown. And, um, and we... And, the, you know, you always take the fastest man, and he runs first. No, sorry. You always take the fastest man, he runs last. Your second fastest man runs first. And your two slowest people on your relay team, they run second and third. And what I noticed is that oftentimes, I, I didn't get to run very much, but when I had the baton, and oftentimes I'd be in third or fourth place. But that year, we never lost for we never got a trophy for third and fourth place because we never got an award for what I did. We always got rewarded for the for the what the where the anchor man was and so in that year, we never lost a relay race because because Benny Brown would get the baton and he would pass everybody and 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 come in first and My point is this is that Here, the Hebrew writer talks about these great people the world wasn't worthy of, and he said, God decided to not give them what was promised, what they believed was going to happen in their life, because if he did, he'd have to give them like second or third place. He said, so God withheld their reward so that they would get rewarded with us, because we are the fastest man. And what I'm getting at is this, and then he goes, that's why they're watching you, since we have a great, why are they watching you? They're watching you because they haven't received their reward yet. Are you with me? And God goes, they haven't received their reward yet, and they're waiting for their reward. That's why we have a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us who oftentimes break into this dimension because they're like, keep going, You're in, your, in your victory is our victory. We haven't received our reward yet. And what I'm getting at is that when we have to, what we realize, what we're realizing is that when we stepped into eternity, we became responsible for people who went before us who have yet to be rewarded. (laughs) And then the Lord said to me, this is a while ago, I was, this is, uh, this story, this part of the story is a few years old. Uh, One of our um, worship leaders came into my office. And he said, um, "I have a problem with my da da da." One of my worship leaders. This is this story is about seven years old. And I said, "What is it?" He said, "Well, you know, he uh, he was over the youth band at the time." He said, "He said, well, my drummer keeps falling to immorality." And he said, "You know, we, he he repents, and a month later he's doing it again." And I said, "You need to take him off the team." He said, "I can't do that." He said, I'm our only drummer." <laughs> I said, "If you if you only have a one week vision for this young man, you can't help but make the wrong decision." But I said, if you'll have a 10-year vision for this man, you can't help but make the right decision. Because you'll make the decision based on a vision for his life. And he said, Oh, that's really good. And, and he left the room. Dang, it's a mighty win. <laughs> a rushing mighty win. Maybe you could turn that off, somebody. Um, and so he left the room, and the Lord, and, and as soon as he left, I'm sitting in the chair. And it was one of those moments, you know, when you say something that you know is better than your thoughts. And I'm sitting in a chair and I said to myself, That was amazing. I rock. <laughs> Shoot, I don't know where I got that, but I am a lot smarter than I thought I was. And the Lord said to me, You sacrifice the future for the present all the time. And, and He said, I want you to have a hundred year vision. And I said, Without thinking, I just said to the Lord, I said, a hundred-year vision? I said, I'll be dead before a hundred years. And the Lord said, if you don't have a vision for a generation you'll never see, revival will never last for more than one generation. And then he said this to me. He said, do you think that David was a man after my heart just because he built, because he built a, 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 a tabernacle of David? He said, but when I told him that he couldn't build the temple, he, he, he developed all the materials all the plans, and raised all the money so that Solomon could not fail. And the Lord began to talk to me about having a vision for a people we will never see. (laughs) I was, uh, and many of you have heard this already, but it's good repeat. I was laying on the prayer house floor. This is not too long ago, maybe a year ago. And I was praying, and the, the Lord had just given me this verse um, about Absalom, do you remember Absalom was the um, was the uh, son that uh, usurped David's authority? Da da da, and, and he dies, right? And this is the this is the um, this is the statement that God makes about Absalom after his death. He says Absalom had no sons, so he set up a monument to himself in the Valley of Kings and called it Absalom's monument. And so there it is to this day. And the Lord said to me. You're either developing a monument to yourself or a legacy. And then about two months ago, the Lord said, I don't want you to work on your ministry anymore. I want you to build a legacy from this point on. And I want you to live for a generation that you'll never see. Man, you know what? We need to tell these guys to fix this, because if you're up here, like that thing blows you away. It's not the wind of the Spirit. Wow. Um. Sorry, I don't know if you're... Oh, no, right here. Come closer. closer. Can I get closer? Um, Let me just um, gather where I'm going. So the Lord talked to me about living for a generation I'll never see. And the Lord said, a righteous man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And he talked to me about setting up some stuff, and this is not about this part obviously isn 't about writing, but it is about attitude. And the Lord told me that a righteous man leaves an inheritance to his children 's children, so immediately Kathy and I opened up accounts for all of our grandchildren. We put money in there every month, and it was just it 's just a prophetic act, like, okay, I want you to start to think about a generation you won 't see okay here 's the point. The point is is that when we stepped into eternity. We stepped, into, we stepped into the family of God. We stepped into eternity. And we're responsible for those who have went before us and those who will go after us. Are you with me? And then Habakkuk makes this statement. He says, God says to Habakkuk, I want you to write out this vision because the vision isn't for you, but it's for an appointed time that those who read it may run. And here's what I'm getting at. Thank you so much. That was driving me nuts. God tells Habakkuk, I want you to write a vision that it isn't for you. It's for people who are coming after you. And when they read it, they'll run. Now, how many of you know that your walk that your life in God is typically called a walk? You know, Paul says many times to walk in the Spirit. And he talks about walking with God, our walk with God. But in this in this in this statement that God makes to Habakkuk, He says, "When people read this, they'll go from a walk to a run." And there's something about inspiring another generation. And then and then in um, in the book of uh, something, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I know. I wish I was polished. It would... It's one of my prayers that like I'd be able to be a polished preacher. In 1 Kings chapter 13, I'm going to ask for a response. I was just telling you, that's one of my <laughs> prayers. You don't have to agree with it. I just pray that. I'd like to be um, polished. Um, 1 Kings chapter 13 is a, is a story about a prophet. He goes to see a king. I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but just, to, to some, uh, just the highlights of it. He goes to see a king who God has anointed king, but the king's turned really wicked. He's not doing good stuff, and he's got idols going on. And this unnamed prophet goes to see the king, and when, the, when he sees the king, he starts to tell the king, you know, hey, your wickedness, God's mad at you. You're not doing what God called you to do. And the king goes, arrest that man. And when he sticks, stretches out his hand to say, arrest that man, the man's hand withers. And, and then he goes, Help. <laughs> And Josiah, I mean, I'm sorry, the unnamed prophet prophesies this. He cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord. He said, O altar, O altar, thus says the Lord. Behold, a son shall be born to this house, to the house of David, Josiah by name. And on you shall the sacrifice of the high priests, who are all evil, will burn their incense. And human bones shall be burned on you. And then some things happen. The king's hand gets healed. and, um, And that's the end of that part of the story. Uh, so in one Kings thirteen, this unnamed prophet prophesies that there is coming a king. His name will be Josiah, and he tells all this stuff about Josiah that Josiah will turn back the nation, basically. And then in 2 Kings chapter two, I am sorry, chapter twenty-two, it says this: Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 30, 31 years in Jerusalem. His, mother name was, his mother's name was Jedediah, the daughter of whoever. He did right was in the sight of the Lord. But listen, this is the part. Let's see if I can find it. Um, uh Shephiah the scribe came to the king and brought back word to the king, saying, your servants have emptied out the money. No, let's see. Oh, yeah. Uh, verse 10. Moreover, Shephiah, uh, Shephiah the scribe told the king, saying, the priest has given me a book. And uh, Shephiah read it in the presence of the king. And when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. And it goes on to talk about, well, what happened is this is that the, they find this book, like the Bible hasn't been read in like a hundred years because of, you know, uh, Manasseh and uh, the, the, his, Josiah's father and grandfather were both wicked. So they took the Bible out of, basically, out of their, completely out of their culture. And so they're cleaning up. He's got them remodeling the temple so that the sacrifices can come back. There hasn't, the Word of God hasn't been read in like almost a hundred years. They find the Bible, they find the law, and they begin to read it. And they get so excited, they come into the, they come into the palace, and they say, look, we found, we found this book, we found the law. And Josiah's like, well, read it to me. And they start reading it, and they find Josiah's name in the book that was written 300 years before Josiah was born. Jeremiah even prophesied there's coming a man named Josiah. And they look, look, your name's in the book. And Josiah gets so excited, you look after he hears about the law, that he starts tearing down all the altars, and they have the greatest revival, one of the greatest revivals in, you know, in, in, in Israel's history. And his father, the, his father the, 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 um, the commentary on his father is that he was the most wicked man who was ever born, ever king. And his grandfather was worse. And what I'm getting at, if you'll notice... That, that when, he, when it mentions his lineage, it says Josiah was eight years old when he became king. He reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. Listen to this. His mother's name was Jedidiah. It doesn't even, me- it's the only king whose father's not mentioned. Because his, because his lineage was not coming from a patriarch, but from a matriarch. And, but here's my point, is that somebody wrote ahead and said, there's coming a king 300 years. Three hundred years before Josiah was born, there's coming a king, and his name is Josiah. And I'm telling you, everything you've done, you wicked king, he's going to tear down these altars. He's going to destroy the whole priesthood you set up, and he's going to. And there's going to be a great revival coming. Josiah is a product of someone's prophetic declarations. Who looked? Get this: three. He didn't know what he, when he was prophesying it. He just knew that he was coming, and he prophesied three hundred years into the future. And he prophesied into Israel's destiny and said, There's coming a king who will turn us back to revival. And what I'm getting at is this. Listen to this. Acts chapter 3, verse 24. And likewise, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successors onward also announced these days, It is you who are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying, In your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What's he saying? Peter's saying, he gets up in the third chapter of Acts and he said, all the prophets have spoke of you. All these things that are happening, the prophets spoke of you and they created their future by writing down prophecies. They made declarations and you are the answer to someone else's prophecies and you are the fulfillment of someone else's prayers. Now, here's here's where I'm going with this. The Lord said to me, the spirit of fatalism He's stealing the apostolic age, and the spirit of fatalism says, "Let's prepare, let's prepare for disaster." And what's happened is, is that I got saved in '73. The, um, the, the our eschatology came from the late great planet Earth, and we felt like we were getting out of here. And I want to propose to you that 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 spirit of fatalism, and that eschatology kept this generation from prophesying to the next generation. And I want to propose to you that abortion is the fruit of a generation that refused to dream. That the Jesus movement happened in 68, that book came out in, I think it was 70 or 71, and Roe versus Wade happened in 73. And I want to propose to you that Roe vs. Wade happened because the church was carrying around a book that they said they were proclaiming the end of the world instead of the coming kingdom. People lost hope for their children. And, and we, we did not prophesy to the next generation and we took away the path in which history is supposed to happen because history is supposed to become his story. But when we stop prophesying, it becomes someone else's story. And I want to tell you that one of the greatest reasons why you should write, whether your book ever gets published, whether whether you ever publish anything that anyone else will see besides your family, is that your family has a history, and it your their history is in your prophecy. And you should write for a generation that you'll never see. I started thinking about, like, how could I send my children's children's children? How could I... Like, what would I say 200 years from now to my children who I will not, How will I communicate? Because I'll be in a cloud of witnesses. I'll be cheering them on. But if the Lord doesn't let me come into this realm, you know, thankfully, like Moses, I mean, uh, Jesus got to meet with Moses and Elijah on transfiguration. But, you know, my father drowned when I was three, and I've never had an encounter with my father. So if I, if I have no encounter with my father, what would my father say to me? There's a, a lady who has a terminal disease in our church, and uh, thankfully I just got word today that she's doing much better. But three times they've given her four hours to die. They pulled a plug on her uh, uh, about six months ago, and I drove to their, where they're at, and, and, um, and we prayed over her, and we said goodbye to her. And the next morning she woke up out of the coma And the doctor's like, I've never seen this happen before. And she's done that three times, which is amazing. But we need her to get completely well. But the first time she came out of the coma, uh, really, I said, I mean, before she came out of the coma, I'm sitting in the hallway. She has two little children, one born out of a miracle. The doctor said she has MS. And the doctor said, you'll never get pregnant. And she got pregnant and she had a child. And so we're sitting in the hallway, and she's in a coma, and the doctor says there's just a few hours left, and so we, you know, we're praying. And I said to the father, I said, did, you, did, she, did she record any words to her children? He said, no, not really. I'm oh like, I said, if anything happens and you get a miracle, you need to get a recorder, and you need to have her tell her children the dreams that she has for her children, because those dreams will become pathways for her children. To, to come into their destiny. And so anyway, obviously she came out of the coma, and one of the things they've been doing is they've been she's been talking to her children about the future. I've, I feel like one of the most important things that we can do is take responsibility for a generation that we'll never see. I started to tell you, I was in the prayer chapel, and I'm laying on the floor. This is uh, about a year ago or two maybe. I'm laying on the floor, and I'm... I'm 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 thrust into this vision I've told this many times and I don't know how I know this but I'm thrust into this vision that's a hundred years from now and I'm standing in this kind of mansion or a large house I don't know what it is it's like this big like a castle or a mansion or very large house and it's like Thanksgiving and children are playing and there's adults and children and teenagers and there's all these generations and I'm standing in the front room over this, in this, uh, there's a beautiful fireplace and this huge mantle and this beautiful room. And there's a grandfather in there and he's standing in front of the fireplace and there's generations standing before him, little children all the way up to teenagers. And I'm standing right next to him in this vision, but he can't see me, but I can see him perfectly. And he, and he says, this... Um, All this that you have, all this prosperity that you've come into, and he points to this mantle over the fireplace, and when he does that, the vision changes, and I can see the mantle he's pointing to, and over the fireplace is a portrait of my wife and I, and he says, that's your great, 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 great grandfather and grandmother, and they began all this for you. You owe them your prosperity. And then I came out of the vision and the Lord said it's time for you to live for a generation you'll never see it. it's time for you to send a message to your children's 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 children and I began to write if you'll notice the last book I wrote I wrote to my grandchildren I dedicated the book to my grandchildren And and my point is this is that one of the most important reasons why you write if no one ever ever no one else reads it is you're writing for your children's children's children and you're telling them the dreams that you have for them, the visions that you have for them, the hopes that you have for them, the thoughts that you have for them. And in one of the things I like to do is I just like to, sometimes I just lay before God and I say, what's what's my great, 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 great ch- children's name going to be? Like maybe I'll have a Josiah. Or maybe I'll have a Esther. Or a Joshua. I don't know. And I start just dreaming like, you know what? I will love for my you know, I'd love to write a classic. Like, one of my goals in life is to write a classic. Like, something that will be passed from generation to generation, you know. Like, some of the classics that they just transcend time. And it's, they're just meaningful to all generations. And I'd like to write a classic for the sake of my children. And I pick that up, and, that, and, they, and they find their name in it. And they go, this is what our great-grandfather, great-great-great-grandfather, this is what he dreamed of us. And... Uh, Habakkuk, I want you to write this vision. Because it's not for now. It's for a long time from now. And what I want you to do is I want you to write it in a way that those who read it will begin to run. No. You know, it's great if you get if your work gets published. I mean, I I have I have five published works, and it just was really a victory. It was great. I just can't tell you how. Exciting it was the first time I got published it came when it came out. I ran around the office screaming and You know, I'm a pretty emotional guy I ran around the office screaming and the team was yelling for me And it was a great victory, you know, when Bill wrote his first book we just said Woohoo <laughs> <laughs> My team can't do that with me because I, I just think they don't really care like I need them to like yell or you know, we poured oil over it in the, you know, in the prayer house. I mean, we just have to do something crazy, you know. This is like we're breaking poverty over my life. And so it's just, you know, I mean, being published is really, if you can get something published, it's amazing. But really in the, in the course of, of history, what really matters is what my, what my children's children's children think. If my dad would have said anything about me, or publish something, I'd I'd have that sucker memorized. Because I was a little boy when he died. I would love to know how my father thought. And so I just want to encourage you. You have a responsibility for those who've went before you. And you have a responsibility for those who yet to be born. And one way that you can get a message to them is to write it down. And have it passed down. When uh, Kathy bought me my first journal 15 years ago, and and I wrote in my first journal. I just found it the other day. I'm writing this journal for my children. The only problem is I only wrote in it about 50 times that year, and every time I wrote, I wrote when I was depressed. (laughs) So then I thought, well, this isn't really for my children. (laughs) It's like, wow, our grandfather was like... (laughs) Had a real problem with depression. Which I don't. I just only I just in those days I only wrote to process my discouragement. You know, I wrote like, I just feel like I want God to take me home, and I'm like, oh my goodness. This is for my children's children. (laughs) Our grandfather needed Prozac. I just want you to stand please. I want you to put your hand on your heart cuz I want the Lord to impart to you a vision for a generation you'll never see. You know, what i I hope that you're not offended by my eschatology, and you know one of the things that that i I have this strong feeling about it's like we're all worried about seven years, and we've had you know we've had two generations getting people ready to not take the mark of the beast, and then you'll notice that don't matter what your eschatology is, after the seven years is a thousand years. <laughs> just a thought. I'll offend a bunch of people when I haven't made this statement publicly yet, but I believe the Great Tribulation happened in 70 A.D. when they destroyed the temple. Whether you believe that or not doesn't really matter to me. If your whole focus in the future is about three and a half bad years, and we're preparing people for destruction instead of for the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, and I just have a sense that God told us to, to pray that it would be on earth as it is in heaven because he wanted us to believe it. And I think that our prayers are fulfilled when the, when the new Jerusalem comes down, not when we go up. <laughs> and then the kingdom of this world becomes the kingdom of our God. And so I want to challenge you, like, is it possible that you could have a 300-year vision so that you could actually see yourself writing to Josiah, or somebody way beyond. Is it possible that the spirit of fatalism is stolen our children's future? And is it possible that this writers' conference is all about restoring the future, and having you know one of the first signs of the uh, Holy Spirit falling on people? Second uh, Acts chapter two, it says that uh, it says your sons and daughters will prophesy. Get this. Your old men will dream dreams. I don't think he was saying, "Listen, you know, you know how you've you've not you don't dream at night anymore." I don't think he was saying that. I think he was saying that one of the signs of revival is that old men, old women, begin to have a vision for the future again, and they begin to say, "I have a reason to be alive. I was born." to alter the course of history. And I'm going to dream about a generation I'll never see. I'm not cramming for my finals. I'm looking towards the future. And so, Lord, I just release in this room. Lord, I release hope for the future. Faith for the future. And that these writers would become the first people in the new millennium that began to write with an apostolic purpose. That we began to write to see revival be multiple generations until the kingdom of this world becomes the kingdom of our God. Lord, let us not write to build a monument to ourselves. Let us write to build a legacy. Amen. Thank you very much. Thank you, Pastor Chris. Please have a seat. Uh, for those of you who could stay for a little bit, we have a, a really wonderful treat. And But first we have an important announcement. Did all of you enjoy the conference? Please thank Pam Spinozi for all that she did. Isn't it amazing?